0: Freedom is not the freedom to do what you wish, but the freedom to do what you ought. Good Wednesday morning, and today,
1: John just introduced it, we're going to be talking about freedom. My name is Craig Flood, I'm the host for this podcast, and be sure to stick around till the end, because I'm going to end it, uh, but I'm also going to leave a little extra talking that John and I specifically did, just around family, reading, and all the things that I need to start doing with my kids. So if you want to hear that, then be sure to stick around.
0: Uh, you get the the Archbishop of York say, we're thinking about changing our father because it's too sexist. When he gets to the stage of taking our Lord's words and saying we think he could have done better, you're in a pretty serious state of decline. And when yeah. it's the second highest position in the Anglican Church worldwide, it's even more frightening. And... Uh, Uh, They're also putting in a special version of morning prayers for transgendered people. Um, This is woke nonsense gone viral at a level that, well, it hasn't gone viral, fortunately, except in an anti-sense as it should. But uh, as so often, uh, sensitivity towards other people is good, but when it trumps everything else, no, it's not. Um, there is an order to good things in the world. Some are more important than others. Yes, sensitivity is right. I mean, I love that line at the end of uh, Pride and Prejudice where Darcy and Elizabeth have realized that they're in love with one another, that they're made for one another. And Darcy says to Elizabeth, you must have thought me devoid of all proper sentiment." What a lovely phrase. Uh, we wouldn't even think for most of the Western world now that, amongst other things, we are hopefully training our children to proper sentiment. That's what I was trying to get at with reading Augustine, which would be uh, demand more of you than most people read when they're reading double-spaced devotional literature. Uh, they don't have proper sentiment towards literature. So, uh, phrases don't stop them in the Bible because anything that phrase is so recurrent or that thought is so recurrent. And off you go on a journey through the literature, which I hope you know well, and the more you know it, the more you enjoy it. Um, Whereas I most often um, these days uh, hear a phrase from the the Bible which clearly has not been understood by the person using it. when I quoted Frost in Harvard, uh, uh, I was aware of being largely uh, a feminist um, a stem end of the sector where Frost says, ah, worship, humor, and conscientiousness went long since to the dogs under the table, and served us right for having instituted downward comparisons. The dogs under the table, for me, immediately brought Christ into my mind, I hope for you too. Uh, the wonderful uh, story of his interaction with uh, the Syrian woman who wanted uh, something of him, and he said, I have come to the Jews, and she said, the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Well, it's a lovely story, and that single phrase brings that whole lovely story into mind, and that's why Good Christian writers are appreciated by other Christians, even when they don't trace what's going on, because there are always echoes of Scripture in the writings of people who are deeply uh, Christian. And in fact, all great writers know they need the biblical metaphors, writers in the Western tradition. And you don't achieve anything by removing them. You make everything less, not more. Uh, but that's what we're trying to do at the moment with uh, editing, writing, which we have no right to touch. And the people doing the touching, of course, are ignoramuses to boot, so the the outcome is bound to be both useless and ugly, but that's where we've got to. So those things have been on my mind uh, and wondering why we're falling away in so many different areas and I had a little experience with chat GPT. I uh, wrote an article for uh, the CMDA magazine uh, I write what, once a quarter a short article 1500 words or so um, and uh, I thought let's see what G- chat GPT would do if I- I'd finished it And then I just gave them my name and the title uh, and waited to see what would happen. Well, it was remarkably smooth, as it always is. One of the ways you can tell when students are using it is that it's smooth and there are no grammatical errors of significance. There's no unique usages either. Um, But it was as though it had got a tin ear for transcendence. I hope that anything I do in the area of writing or speaking at least brings into people's minds the the transcendent dimension of human life. We are here today, gone tomorrow, and after that the judgment was the understanding of the Western world for 2,000 years, and now we behave as the the, the only thing we can do about this is to pretend it isn't so. but without transcendence, you have a problem. And thinking about that, uh, the first place that this comes to mind for me, of course, it, it is with the dying of patients. Uh, my brother in law has got terminal cancer, and he wanted to talk to me this week about end things in particular. It was an interesting phrase. He said, I know you don't approve of euthanasia in any way, um, so I don't want to go that way. Only well, he, he hadn't thought it through, but he said, it's very hard to go on, and I wonder if it's worth it. Um, and we talked about that a bit. Well, yeah, and it- uh, we don't die to ourselves. We shouldn't die for ourselves. The famous line, no man is an island entire unto himself, uh... Send not to ask for whom the bell tolls, for it tolls for thee. Our death is part, of, is part of everyone else's life as well as our own death. We are all caught in this mortal coil. And, uh, for the modern world, christenings or baptisms of children, um, marriage and uh, dining are the only times that some people will hear the gospel, uh, that we're more than just another animal. So it's important that we learn how to use those times much better than we are. And of course, more and p- more people are not bothering with a s- funeral service. Uh, that's the post-Christian world. Yeah. So, transcendence really matters. Uh, the, the piece I quote all the while left when he's talking about justice, what we want is to be simultaneously perfectly free and perfectly ruled. That is, at the same time, to discover the right and the good to, and to invent it. Without an understanding of transcendence, that sentence has no power, but with it, it is, its power is increased n The bottom line is, in the post-Darwinian world, we are losing our way because it changes the way we make choices. Uh, I remember the first time I was really forced to think about this, many years ago now. I've, I used to um, help out the local boys' brigade, um, mainly by taking the boys climbing, uh, rock climbing, but the deal was that they, they couldn't go on the rock climbing trips if they weren't a regular attender at Sunday school, uh, the boys' brigade Sunday school. So they came for that reason and others like it. They they like the activities, they like the marching, they like the instruments, they like the gym, etc. But um one Sunday uh, I asked the the boys who were from the east end of London, um, what what's wrong with stealing? And quick as a flash, one of the, the kids said, Getting caught, sir. And I thought, my goodness that's it, 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 in a sentence. It wasn't wrong unless you got caught. Well, that's Darwinian. The Christian response would be, God told us not to. Now, we don't usually think about why, but if we took that back, we would say, oh, yes, because God gives the law and says, if you keep this law, then you will flourish. It's not a small thing. The Decalogue and something like it can be found in almost every culture. Uh, Lewis does that for you at the end in the in the uh, appendix to the abolition of man. He says, just spend a few hours in the library with a Dictionary of Comparative Religions and you can find this stuff, but he's done it for you. We all have something like it, they're not all the same, uh, the orderings are different, the nuances are different, but uh, we all cultures have something like that until we came to the post-Christian uh, Marxism, which is, of course is a, a Christian heresy. It thinks that man is perfectible, uh, whereas anybody who belongs to any of the great traditions knows that that is not true. Uh, the fall, as Chesterton said, is the one surely undeniable Christian uh, insight, Christian doctrine. So, uh, what happens when it, you change that to everything is a battle for the genes, nature read in tooth and claw, which it is in many ways, you can see it. But of course, the animals have no abstract world, like we have. Language is critical at this point, but we do live in a... Uh, a world that has dimensions that no animal has they're not capable of thinking about their great-grandchildren, whereas we ought to be as we live in inflationary ways, basically just handing on the debt to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and the size it's getting to now. we wouldn't have done that in the past, the sheer shame, but that's disappeared from uh politics. It's all about the next election cycle, nothing else. Um, We've got to learn how we speak into that environment and there are ways of doing it. So without transcendence, you have no oughts, no shoulds, no musts, and you cannot bring that up your family without saying, no, you must do that. And they say, why? And you say, because it's the right thing to do. What a lot there is packed in that sentence that out there there's a whole set of rights and wrongs which you have not yet properly understood, but the decision you were about to make is on the wrong side of that equation. And if you don't get that right, you will be in trouble. Uh, first with me, but most importantly later with God. Now initially, of course, children are effectively uh, living in the present and they even have trouble... Uh, distinguishing between what they imagine and what they experience. But nevertheless, they are moral beings. They know certain moral truths that are written on our hearts. Our job is to build that into a much more effective guide for life. And that we are not doing. Uh, We're frightened to say anything against what our children think at the moment because we haven't practiced being articulate and having an authority which they respect. I mean, if we come home and put our feet up in front of the the moving wallpaper and haven't picked up a serious book in 20 years, how can we expect them to have any respect for us uh, at that level? We have a duty to do it. Give attention to reading, says Paulie. He knows why. And uh, as he says to sympathy, uh, you must train people so that they rightly divide the Word of God in the King James Version, that they can listen to it and they can say, yes, I understand that. It's rather difficult. Now, let me think. What do I do next? And their reflexes are to compare Scripture with Scripture. You can't do that if you don't know it in the first place. And that provides you with a a nuanced understanding of what's going on so that you don't just say, you'll do it because I say so. Because once you start thinking about it, you can point out what will happen. Uh, those same young men, boys in, uh, not even young men, boys in the boys' brigade, uh, living in the East End of London had different words. Stealing was, was a big deal, but nicking wasn't. Or oh, just nicked it. I mean, it's, Somebody had left some money, I I just picked it up. No big deal. But it is a big deal because it is stealing and you have become a thief. The first thing that happens when you break those rules is that if you don't tell the truth, you become a liar. You can't avoid that. And if you go on doing it, soon the lies will control you and not you the lies. And that happens to every one of these great ideas and you've got to put those before your children in a way to make sense if you do that and then you do it again and then you do it again shortly it will control you and not you it that's why even gossip is bad paul puts it next to murder in the list in corinthians I, i think that's right i think gossip probably well i'm sure it's worse than many murders I mean, if my wife murdered me, and after all, your spouse is the most likely person to murder you, she'd probably have every justification in, in the uh, moment. Uh, it's just convenient, and for her and me, that she hasn't had the meat cleaver in her hand at the right time, so to speak. Um, yeah, I'm sure I can be extremely annoying. So if she did kill me, it would be an emotional act when I'd really rubbed her up the wrong way. And I got what I deserved in a way. She'd have to go to prison because of the social consequences of murder have to be apparent. Although we're getting to the point now where there's some people say, well, uh, blacks can't commit certain crimes because of their victim status. That is so patronizing. If I was black, you're saying to me, I'm just a child morally, that's insulting uh but they don't see it that way they're just race hustling it's very dangerous most dangerous to them but dangerous to us all Uh, we need these things in place when the banks were opened western style banks were opened in russia the russians didn't appreciate what underlies banking and if you put your money in a russian bank they sort of took off with the money and the bank disappeared, and so did your money in many cases. Now, the Jews ran the banking system in the Western world because God had taught them you must keep your promises. You don't, I will punish you one day if you do not keep your promises. If they agree to pay 10% when they should only pay 5, that's their fault. That's okay, you can do that. But if you say 5%, you are not to charge them five and a half. And that, of course, is at the heart of banking. Without that trust, banking cannot happen. You think of what you do when you put your money uh, into a machine with a card. I mean, what evidence have you got for the reality of that money? And why shouldn't someone, and of course they do quite frequently, uh, manipulate that money to set to some other place? at its heart. Like medicine, banking is a moral activity, and if you fail morally, you will fail in your profession. The law was the same. It was the pursuit of justice, but not anymore now. As my grandson in the law school told me, it's all procedural. What we learn is the procedures and we can take back to find out what judgments were made before very easily, and that's going to be increasingly so with uh, AI and its applications. In fact, many legal jobs are going to disappear with AI. I I haven't seen for a long while uh, why conveyancing in the sale of a house should be any more difficult uh, than the sale of a car. All you need is a good registry system. Well, that can all be computerized. You ought to be able to sell your house as fast as you sell uh, your car. And if the person wants to get an evaluation, you can do that with a car, you can do it with a house. Um, It's it's a sitting duck for takeover by clever lawyers who want to run a very big system, and all they're putting is their name onto work that's done by uh, AI. Uh, There are lots of things in that area. Uh, but human beings can't be handled entirely in that way. So, um, the one that got me, one of the other ones that got me going this week is the: over five thousand people have had their accounts uh, stopped at banks in England, and no reason has been given, except that uh, they have said somewhere things that are, are judged by people uh, with the power to do it that make them unworthy of banking. That effectively is to remove them from society. Uh, uh, They've overstepped here, and I hope that the pushback is going to be absolutely huge. Um, And any banks that had the the smarts would be getting up very quickly and going public and saying, we are never going to cancel anybody's account without telling them why. Whether it was the government who forced us to do it or whatever, but we're not gonna do it willingly. That's not the business we're in. We're in the business of serving you. And if you're not cheating us, we have no reason to cheat you. Uh, Any bank that does that, and then we should drop our, we should all change our bank accounts and move it there. I mean, we have demonstrated, when they rile us up enough and we start reacting, we have huge power. Look how Bud Light has lost millions of dollars. We could do the same with Disney. We probably are already and uh, the pride people have uh, got the tolerance they asked for 20 years ago, but they're not displaying it in return now. That's not consistent. If they receive tolerance, and they have received tolerance on a huge scale, they need to, to to display that tolerance in return. There are only about 4% of the population. Uh, it's only where if if the truth were that it's only power, they're nobody in terms of numerical power, voting power, if we voted uh, in the appropriate way. But uh, they're working very hard and very effectively to take the whole thing over. But we can can push back. Everyone who is listening to this who hasn't read Lee Harris's uh, article some 15 or more years ago, uh, Can Tradition Survive? should read it because, as I understand it, Uh, he was a homosexual who saw uh, that they were going to win and it was going to be a disaster for everybody unless some really thoughtful people didn't take charge of the ship. At the moment, clearly, it's driven by emotion and by anger. Uh, That's not the way to go. So you can go down the list and start looking at behaviours that can be traced back to a failure to really incorporate into your life um, the, the basic tenets of the Ten Commandments. Jay Bud book, uh, What We Can't Not Know, a, lovel, a lovely double negative which your English teacher told you never to use, but when you do use it just very occasionally, as in this title of the book, it's brilliant, isn't it? What We Can't Not Know, What We Can't Deny, Now, what he's arguing in that book is something very like the Ten Commandments. Commandments—is universal knowledge. Very few people could even tell you the Ten Commandments these days. Uh, But uh, nevertheless, uh, we all appeal to them when we're on the wrong side of the equation, so to speak. And in that book, he does it absolutely brilliantly. It's one that every serious Christian should have on their shelf, in my view. Uh, along with Peter Crave's of Moral Relativism, put those two together, and you'll have a lot of material for uh, pushing back around you, just simply by asking questions, which is the next key in this process. Um, I listen to people who become sort of emotionally aware that they're being manipulated, and uh, and they immediately start making statements that haven't been well thought out. Hold your tongue under those circumstances, what you need is a question. And if you don't know what it is, the prayer help is almost invariably answered on the spot. Uh, and if it isn't, it's because you, you're you not ready to go into this argument, but now you have to go away and do the work. Why was I so upset by that? What are the questions I need to ask to come back on that? Why did the whole world think differently until a very short period ago? Well, of course, as long as you were living subsistently from hand to mouth. The idea that having children was a luxury that you should have when you got the chance was unthinkable. Before mechanization, you couldn't run a farm in North America that would feed your family with less than half a dozen hands at work every day. So you needed those children. Um, uh, It worked very well but nobody would have suggested that you should have a a way of life that didn't lead to children that was all around you to be seen in the animal kingdom if you stop doing it you die out and it would be very quick it would happen very quickly in a society uh, that was not mechanized in any way so this is only a product of modern technology which could fail at any moment so to speak and we are on the edge of trouble and some countries like particularly um, Germany, uh, China, uh, Japan, uh, Quebec, not a country but it, it, I think the lowest reproductive rate in Canada, nowhere near replacement. We are currently solving a problem by bringing in people from other parts of the world with entirely different cultures. And you discovered when you had good immigration, you initially took people at least who shared, would have said they believe the Ten Commandments are true. And you took a break too, because you realized there were some problems with uh, getting people to join the society rather than form enclaves within that society. Now in places like, well, the city where I grew up, Birmingham now has whole areas of Birmingham, very close to where Tolkien was born. Where the police have no say. It's a Muslim ghetto, in effect. <laughs> uh, now, they may take over, and it's our own fault if we don't have a culture that's strong enough to say, no, we think you should do it our way. You can't. Mrs. Thatcher was right when she said to King Saud when he wanted her to come to the dedication of a mosque in London. She said, certainly if I can come to the dedication of a church in Riyadh. That's fair comment because she didn't go to the dedication of the mosque, because they were not going to do that. There's no quid quid pro quo involved in in cultural exchanges in most cases, except ours. I mean, we are now into self-flagellation and denial of our own history, pulling down statues of people who did some things that we now look upon as wrong, and they didn't at the time. I mean, the, the... the racist people had, had absolutely no idea that the Muslims took far more slaves than Christians ever did. And Christians realized it was wrong. And it was Christians who first started stopping the slave trade. And in fact, England had stopped slavery within the borders of England by the 12th century. They don't know any of that stuff. Um, it's just race hustling, basically, without a culture of any significant depth. In the, the, the black community had the same sort of social statistics as the white one at the beginning of the 20th century in terms of marrying and staying married and, and looking after your children. Uh, there's was, there was no significant difference. Black society started falling apart somewhere around the 1920s and no one has explained to me why yet. I hope that someone will. I mean, there's clearly people who are thinking about it deeply and have access to material. I would like to hear what Tom Sowell says about that. Denzel Washington is very, very straightforward. He says, what's happened is a failure of fathering. And, but it started before that in actual fact. Uh, but the, the Johnson egregious legislation, which would only give a, a <laughs> woman uh, a, a, a pension money a supplement to bring up her children, if there was no man living with her. That was an incentive to have a one-parent family. Uh, that's crazy, because that's also a recipe for crime, as Denzel Washington puts it, he said, when there's no man in the family, the boy is gonna find the man he needs on the street, and we all know what that means. He said it in a sentence perfectly. So, what I, what's bothering me is the structure, the moral structure that we're losing. Uh, We know that during the lockdown, cheating was rampant with exams that were done online and and on a coded, so to speak. Uh, You weren't testing uh, the child. Depending on how much the family cared about education, uh, you would get more and more cheating. Not setting out to be cheating, but sort of secondary cheating. Parents would look over the shoulder and say, you know, that's not quite right, is it? That's cheating uh, at that level. But of course, your grades determine which school you will go to, but they don't determine your ability. There are consequences. If you uh, improve your child's marks by uh, checking their work before it's taken to uh, the teacher, they will get higher marks than they would have otherwise got. They will get themselves promoted beyond their abilities and they will have the most neurotic, unsatisfying life you can imagine. Uh, You want them to be relatively free as childhood and you're looking for passions that come along that you can encourage. I don't care what it is, stamp collecting, bird watching, uh, even baseball statistics, something that they work hard at and they're learning in that process. Um, Professor, Professorial positions are a good example of where this disaster really shows up big time. I jokingly, and only half jokingly, say you should never apply for a professorial position. You should be asked to apply. If you decide you want to be a professor, uh, you may be lucky and have got it right, but if other people decide you should be a professor, it's because they've seen something that matters. And to do the job and have a, a reasonable ta- a life and time with your family and be relaxed, you need to be able to do it like any other job, easily, because it comes naturally to you. You can do it the way you're meant to. In, uh, a decent professor doesn't need notes to teach undergraduates. And the best ones never use them. I was just reading one of the other... Uh, things in the last week that bring us up today's talk or ramble would be a better term, probably no was Isaiah Berlin who uh published very little his lectures were packed, and he never had notes uh, he uh i I now have uh, the problem of sorting out whether it was him or Lord Acton, but they both said the same thing in slightly different ways, which is um that the real choice that we should be putting before our children is, say, is not um, quite what we think it is. He says, to do the right thing is a form of freedom. Freedom is not the freedom to do what you wish, but the freedom to do what you ought. Now, both Acton and Isaiah Berlin said a version of that, and Kant said something similar. Of course. Uh it goes back to the Old Testament. You could summarize the law. If you keep it, you flourish. If you don't, you don't, and when you don't flourish, crime increases, you lock your doors, you lock yourself in, freedom disappears. Uh they are related to one another. But do we teach that to our children? Could you imagine saying that in a high school class today? I hope somebody I hope hundreds of people write in and say I still have my children in a class where a teacher says exactly that and I will feel a lot better then but I suspect I won't get a vast amount of uh, mail it would be interesting if this went viral so to speak this little bit and to see worldwide how many people would say yeah my kids are being taught that true freedom consists in doing what you ought not what you want for most kids freedom is the freedom not to be interfered with It's a frightening world. Um, Good place to stop, I think. Hey everybody, thanks for watching. If you wanna
1: stick around, I left a little bit at the end of this podcast where John and I were just going back and forth about some things. So if you wanna listen to that, please do. If not, we will see you guys again next week. Thank you for watching this. If you enjoyed it, please share this with a friend
0: or a colleague. Thank you guys so much. And of course, what I was going to go to and didn't is uh, Romans 7. The good that I would I do not, the evil that I would not that I do, then perhaps next time we'll go there. Pre- because a lot oh, yeah. of people, because they have this happy face, like to think that Paul was describing a pre-conversion experience. But you and I know that it's an ongoing post-Christian experience too. We, we don't start out weak intending to even annoy anyone, but we we do. And worse, uh, the difference is that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Consider. You think about it and slowly it happens. Okay. In what we what we're trying to do, I think, is in uh, Tom Holland's comment when he wrote a history of Islam and discovered that he'd become a Christian, because Paul and Jesus had put time bombs under Western culture, and the the ripples of those explosions are still being felt to this day. There's a lovely clip which you could prob- you could probably find. It's in. Uh, uh, Tom Holland and Tom Wright being interviewed on a British website. Um, unbelievable, I think, is the website. Mm-hmm. And Tom Wright, who's an incredibly erudite theologian, is listening to Tom Holland describing this uh, event. And Tom is nodding, especially when he says, Paul and Jesus put a bomb under Western culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a proper understanding of human nature, of course, amongst many other things. They've got a series of bombs under us. So, it's hope the good Lord feels, that not feels, <laughs> sees reason to use what we're doing. Uh, but if he doesn't, that's all right too. Uh, we accept that he has mercy on whom he will have mercy, as Augustine reminds us. But I think parents could do a lot more than they're doing, don't you?
1: Trying to figure that out. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard to know where to go. Well, or
0: you've got to have stuff eclipsed. to read. I mean, I trust you've read the Narnia stories to all your children.
1: My wife did, yes.
0: Your wife did it. You Mm -hmm. should do it. Okay. Uh, It's good to read them as teenagers as well. They're very good to read if you go on a canoeing trip or something like that, where you can't go somewhere where there's nothing to be gotten on a phone. And the best things to read, the Narnia stories came up, and Shakespeare plays. My kids loved going on a canoe trip, and they'd each get a copy of a Shakespeare play. And they'd read it aloud, rather, around the fire.
1: You have any Shakespeare play recommendations? I don't think I've ever read one.
0: Well, start by watching with your children "Much Ado About Nothing," on on the box. Kenneth Branner's film. It's got the Kenneth Branagh one is you want the one you want. B R A N A G H. It's absolutely brilliant, and. Uh, I realised I, I had been wrong in thinking that Shakespeare had to wait because my grandchildren, who grew up in uh, Malawi, uh, with no no screens for a long while,
1: mm-hmm. and, and
0: so they watched a lot of videos. And one of the videos that got to them was that uh, Kenneth Branagh much ado about nothing. And there, one summer, they were visiting us here, we have. Uh, Shakespeare on the St. Lawrence uh, mini festival where uh, some professional actors come in and do uh, a Shakespeare play in uh, uh, an outdoor auditorium area on the river and and, uh, this particular year it was Much Ado About Nothing Now, within minutes the actors knew that these three kids knew every word of this play they knew every joke before he came up So, in effect, they started playing to my my grandkids, (laughs) Um, and that literally, they know that that play inside out, because they heard it at the right time, in the right way. So they don't have any hang-ups about Shakespeare, they know it's worth the effort, but what you do about nothing just carries you along with the whole story and of course are always things about vengeance is it proper is it right is it wrong love it's there too you know it's, it's amusing it's brilliant as all Shakespeare's plays are yes get it and uh, find a, char- a time when uh, you can show it to your children then tell me how they respond and your wife too she'll love it
1: yeah I'll do that she
0: read any Shakespeare either
1: oh, I'm sure she has is way way more well-read than
0: I am yeah well yeah when when they're bored and they can't find anything to do then you can say well let's spend just 20 minutes and then if you like it we'll do the whole thing uh, we'll keep going but they'll be sucked in, in the first 20 minutes because <laughs> it, it's superb cinema that he's made yeah yeah great Good. All right. Okay, have
1: a good week. See you next week. Bye.